Welcome to the one within all. Back again to Innerverse. It's been a while. Maybe not a while since I was on the air, but a while since we did a full-fledged Innerverse episode. Couldn't be more excited about it. This topic is going to be an excellent way to kick off 2022 (laughs) because we're dealing with the pillars, the two towers, the left and the right, the duality framework that our entire world seems to be running on. What better thing to discuss at the onset of the master builder year with the master himself of (laughs) all the symbolism and making the best conjectures and wildest, (laughs) making his wild rides all the time through his YouTube channel. Gabriel, my friend, welcome. Slick Dissident. Guys, you probably already know this man if you've been following the channel recently and 2022 i think we'll be working very closely together on several shows very good friend of mine super excited to have him on make sure that you go to slick dissidents youtube channel and show him some love and support there and his new telegram page which i forgot to put in the show description but i will and i'll throw it out there in the comments too so people can join anyway uh it's new year new me how about you what's up gabriel hey hey brother Thanks for having me back on. This is oh, going to yeah. be a good old time. It's kind of funny. We both had a bug over the over the new year. We had to get our seasonal immune immune boost. And now Yo, they definitely unleashed the bioweapon. <laughs> like yeah. so many people got it. Uh my parents got it. My dad's having a hard time with it right now. I'd love some prayers and support actually oh. for that. Uh he's not super great at the hydrating and the vitamin C game. So it's taken him longer to recover. Anyway, you know, those bugs, they do happen. Uh, It's very interesting. One of the things that was presented to us over 2020 and 2021 as two pillars was the terrain theory, germ theory dichotomy. And I'm over here in the middle, like, can it be both? uh, (laughs) Does it have to be one or the other? Because it does seem to me that sometimes sick people around healthy people turn the healthy people into sick people. It's not a 100%, you know, game, but there's something to that. Maybe that's as Clint has conjectured, uh, Clint Richardson having to do with bioweapons. Like I said, viruses created in a lab that could be something that gives it the contagion effect. Very surprising to imagine nature would create such things on its own for, Mm -hmm. I guess, no other reason than to torment us. But anyway, <laughs> if you got thoughts on that, I'd be happy to hear them. I know you like to sit in the middle uh, as much as you can and not take one mm-hmm. Joachim or Boaz, you know, stance. Yeah. Well, you know, I had uh, right when, it, the, you know, the first wave hit us, I guess, in uh, the early 2020, I caught I caught a bug and I'm quite sure I know the exact moment I got it. And it was interesting because at first glance, you could take it on as the, you know, the traditional uh, germ theory approach. But when I look back at it, there's something more spiritual was happening. So I was moving furniture with, uh, with my coworker and he was sick. He told me in the morning he was sick. He was very clearly sick. And we're moving this tabletop. And while we're moving it, walking with this thing, he sneezes and his sneeze goes right across the tabletop and washes over my face. 
and he know he knew he knew that that was you know a big mistake. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But I gave my consent, and I said, oh, it's okay. If your germs are going to go to anybody, I'm probably the most prepared to deal with it. I said that. Uh, yeah. And so I'm, you know, on one hand, you're like, okay, if it's germ theory, then that's when it happened. But if it's a spiritual thing, if it's if it's more than that in the unseen world, I did say, okay, I accept. I think there's something more than just, you know, physical germ cooties, because mm-hmm. as you know, I can't hardly go five minutes without talking about it. I do sound healing work <laughs> and that's all based on the body's electrical system. And I mean, it's just a fact that there's such a thing as vibes, man. And yeah. you can catch a vibe from somebody just like someone can come in the room and their energy is so awesome that everybody feels super stoked that they're there. And everyone's like, yeah, and it's party time. Cause they showed up or you get the, you know, proverbial, proverbial storm cloud over their head, De- Debbie Downer coming to the room and everyone's just like, Oh, dampened by it. There's more to it than just that. I think that the electricity we carry can definitely be, how you say, tainted and, mm-hmm. or it can be, you know, a blessing of energy. I believe that I've witnessed it. So, you know, the thing is I was around a bunch of family members and some of them had received the uh, cow poke and were very adamant about it. And I had uh, the, even the thought of like not liking that and, that vibe being difficult. And, but the real thing is on an astrological level, I have to say, I noticed that a lot of people got this round of illness right when Jupiter went into Pisces. And to me, that's just perfect. Expl- I won't say an explanation, but reflection. And you have to guess that the powers that should not be know very much what's going on in the sky clock and Jupiter going into Pisces, in my opinion, would definitely expand things that were painful and sorrowful and depression inducing such as illness. And man, the the thing I had, the uh, weirdest part about it was how hard it was to think. And my, my brain fog was extreme, but I was able to definitely counteract that by playing tones at my head, (laughs) you know, healer, heal thyself, but you know, not to linger on this topic too much, although it's interesting. uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I want to give us plenty of room to warm up, stretch our legs in this conversation. (laughs) So I had to ask, uh, why don't you share with us some of the interesting reading that you picked up over the holidays from gifts? Uh, you got some new books. Is there anything on your research agenda that you could preview for us before we get into the topic at hand? Uh, yes. Um, I was gifted uh, Dylan Sicoccio's Spirit World. And that, that was is, book one, The Death Phoenicians. You got it. Yep. And man, that is right up my alley. I'm so stoked for it. But you know what occurred to me yesterday? I was reading it on the plane. And that that book came out in 2016. And he has a mask on on the cover. (laughs) Yeah, very perceptive. Dylan's very perceptive guy. Yes. I want to ask him how he feels about that. Because I'd imagine... He probably has mixed feelings to some degree where he's like, might have freaked himself out a little bit. But then on the other hand, it's like maybe he was picking up on something. Uh, it could be that that cover is not the cover that he used in 2016. I have seen him 
switch up cover art in oh. later, like, you know, subsequent editions of the same book. I don't know if that's true, okay. but it could be, could be true. Yeah. I could just found, true. I found that to be really uh, strangely prophetic. Well, you know, Clint Richardson, who we were talking about before he came on air, mm -hmm. his book, The Straw Man Story, definitely gets into the idea of the persona as a mask and how this entire conversation that we're about to get into, public and private, has everything to do with, you know, your true self versus the the face that you show to the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that concept in terms of corporatism and the way that the world has been run under uniform commercial code legalism, the mask concept is not new. I believe that's part of what's such a mind blow about how it's utilized as a marker of slavery in right now. <laughs> it's still going on that the whole thing is a big, a big show, a game of charades to yes. demonstrate, you know, who you are owned by that you're owned or what system you live under. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And I, I would point out the word masquerade has mask and scared. This masquerade is a big bunch of scary masks uh, where people, I always point out, people can, a mask is a perfect screen for other people to project their insecurities onto. So particularly the blank mask. The blank mask is a perfect screen where people can see whatever they want and uh, uh, make make even more presumption. Uh, but I guess, you know, some of those masks are more creative and they have statements or even American flags on them, which is just a damn shame. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's definitely, I think, I, I, I think that so the sovereignty research has really poked the bear and this whole pandemic is a retaliation against uh, those of us who have been seeking remedy uh, in the legal system. Just when we think we got our, our feet under us with the legal, the legal battles, they come at us with the medical. And so uh, I find that fascinating. Yeah, sovereignty is a big part of the topic at hand right now. Uh, so any other books that you wanted to oh, mention yeah. that you got on your research subjects? Yeah, thank you. I got a, I got Emanuel Velikovsky's Worlds in Collision. And it was really sweet because uh, I have I got two copies and one is an original edition. So it's kind of a collector's item. Uh, and I am really, really excited about that. Uh, because I, I, I'm such a, I'm like a, a surface level enthusiast where I'm like a master of cliff notes. I've got all the cliff notes, but with Emanuel Velikovsky, I've never done the deep dive and the actual reading that I need to really substantiate all these ideas that I have about it. So I'm about to become a official virtuoso of the Emanuel Velikovsky uh, works. So that'll be good. That'll be interesting. I think what I'm most intrigued to see is how, when you get into the nuance of it, what your perspective may be that differs from his. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Cause he was on, he was onto something and, uh, and I absolutely love what he was trying to do to, uh, to prove 
a lot of religious uh, uh, superstition with science. He was trying to give, uh, you know, substantiate biblical miracles with scientific facts. Uh, and in doing so, he became best friends with Albert Einstein and he and Albert That's Einstein. That's uh, suspicious to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think Einstein was sent in to stifle him. Uh, okay. Then yeah. that makes more sense. Yes. I think Einstein was sent in to. Seems uh, like a definite gatekeeper character. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he. I think Einstein was meant to uh, keep him to prolong his discoveries and to cause him to question himself to such a degree that he was so busy proving what he had asserted in the past that he couldn't move forward in his lifetime because he had this best friend who wouldn't even accept some of the fundamental premises. So. Yeah, I think that was kind of the nature of their relationship, even though they were friends. I mean, legitimately close friends. But I think Einstein was sent in to keep him, to drag him back, to uh, keep him from excelling. I'm very interested to see where your thoughts wind up with the Velikovsky stuff, because I've always looked at his material as possibly able to be modified to support the idea of the growing Earth cosmic egg model of the you know f flat but also a sphere <laughs> version of <laughs> version of our realm which yeah. is kind of where i land in terms of what i like to conjecture about i wouldn't say i'm hard and fast on anything but mm -hmm. the uh <clears throat> putting saturn as a previous sun makes a lot of sense if at one point that the uh the realm was actually laid out that way and then it grew and saturn and jupiter got pushed out further as the sun and moon of a ring land beyond the ice walls yes actually and then the next age would have been the venus mars age as the sun and moon and then the age that we're in right now very interesting possibilities but okay let's get into the uh the conversation proper i invited you on because i wanted to talk about these two pillars as they are known <laughs> very interesting and the, the the first i guess thing that piqued my interest in all this was your theory that 9-11 was actually a ritual designed to, as you put it, uh, let's see, how did you put this? It was a collapse of oaths of secrecy, but the collapse of the 9-11 towers and an inversion possibly, or if I'm mistaken, let me know, of the public and private domains or a, a fusion of the public and private domains might be a better way of putting it. Can you mm -hmm. set us up for this conversation and we'll get going? I've got a lot of notes. Yeah. Yep. So uh, uh, most of this goes back to the hermetic principle of as above, so below, or as within, so without. Um, and the idea that in the great works, uh, eventually there, sh we, there should be a coming to balance, a, a harmony between the, pu the public, public and the private. And for a long time, we were under a paradigm that uh, is encapsulated uh, in uh, Unum Sanctum, the papal bull uh, Unum Sanctum, which is a decree from the Pope that mandates that the spiritual realm 
is preeminent to the material realm and that the spiritual realm is on top of the material. And uh, by doing so, they are the Vatican was able to uh, to make a claim that all things spiritual belong to them and that uh, and that they are uh, dominating over consciousness through the spiritual realm. And that is very true. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, all things begin in the mind. It's the first hermetic principle. You know, a lot of things about the papal bull unum sanctum are true and correct. Um, and in the unum sanctum, they, they uh, specify a verse from uh, the Bible, Luke, I forget the exact verse, but it's the story of Christ telling his disciples to sell your cloak to buy a sword because they're about to go out in the public and uh, do some rabble rousing. And um, and so I always tell people you should read Unum Sanctum. It's a very uh, important uh, doctrine to understand. Um, but I think that... And just uh, to break down that symbolism real quick yeah. that's a public and private symbol in itself right the cloak being a covering a privacy thing and the yep. sword that you would take out into the public to kick ass and fight yes. and that's from luke chapter 22 verses 36 and 38 nice for anybody you. interested yes yes and so uh that decree that decree for uh for centuries has uh, mandated that any discovery that man makes, that science makes, that the materialistic paradigm should come across, all of those discoveries, they must be described in a physical materialistic manner. And this, uh, it's a really deep philosophical uh, conundrum, but essentially think of this, the definition of light is both a particle and a wave. And so light is a uh, is defined as as both as material and immaterial as and that is a place where uh, the papal bowl is is challenged. It be it, it would be offended for scientists to have, broached out of their jurisdiction of materialism and gone into this a spiritual definition for the uh for the definition of what a, a light is what light is and so somebody pointed this out one time they said if light is both a particle and a wave then why is there not a pile of particles accumulating under every light bulb if uh, if when the light goes through the light bulb, there should be an accumulation of particles that that pile up like a dust pile at the bottom, and that doesn't happen. And so light is very clearly an immaterial phenomenon, but because of the papal bowl, uh, they're required to explain it in materialistic terms. And so essentially what we have is regulatory capture on the spiritual realm. And science is not allowed to defy unum sanctum. 
And, uh, and that is so profound. It's absolutely profound. Um, so that has been in place for uh, centuries. And I do believe that we're coming to a time where there is a collapsing of that paradigm and uh, we are almost being given permission to come to things with a new approach, with a new, with a new philosophy, you know, and that is kind of where germ theory and terrain theory are coming to the surface, where it's the, is it the internal world that is the problem or is it your external world that is the problem? So I believe that this, uh, this collapsing of the private and the public uh, is kind of the foundation to uh, the new philosophy uh, moving forward. And I see it uh, signaled in our culture in a million, billion, trillion ways. I think we both have a good list to bring forward on that. Yeah, very much so. And there's a lot of places that I want to go from where you're just at. I took notes on a few things. Um, and then, of course, the one that jumped to mind first, I lost it right away. I didn't take note of that. <laughs> Probably not a good host of me to even mention it. I should just let it go. But I'll see if it comes back. Sometimes if I give myself a little nudge like that, it pops back in. But let's talk about this. Uh, well, first, to discuss Unum Sanctum a little bit. I think that this is a very important document people should be familiar with. And it's all predicated on, you know, I don't want to start any pick any fights over this, but this is all predicated on a historical Jesus that existed in the public sphere, a historical Jesus Christ that took an office as the representative of the Christos or the life force energy or the Tao. Basically, yes. you know, the son of God in yes. that sense. And by having a historical, literal Christ, the Vatican is able to, in a legal sense, create the office of the Pope, which is the one who inherits the corporation soul that was the Christos's role, basically. Yes. And so the even the idea that the Pope has a legal jurisdiction over the material, over the temporal as the spiritual authority on the earth is coming from a necessary requirement or faith or belief in a literal historical on the record, Jesus Christ that had that office, um, you know, bestowed by God, I suppose. Right. Yeah. So that's a very you know, uh, at least legalistically, it's a very dangerous position for humanity to accept because it's the actual foundation of all the governments on the earth that are subsidiary corporations of the Pope, of the corporation soul that is the Pope. Yes. Very, very dangerous position to take. And it kind of sets up the Vatican and the Pope as the masters of the waveform duality. And that's what you're getting at. And actually, I find that very interesting. Uh, I've been doing a lot of research on Pierre Sabak. People hear me talk about Pierre all the time. And he deals with this idea of the angelic sailors, the angelions, the, you know, those born of a boat, the naval class or the noble class means the same thing. And that these are related to serpent beings. And even the idea of a serpent is reminiscent of the wave aspect of that waveform duality. And 
The idea that Sabak puts forward in his book, Holographic Culture, which I recommend people do check out, it's quite a thorough read. Uh, you know, maybe we don't agree with every conjecture that Pierre puts forward, but we can definitely look at his etymological research as having a lot of sound connections that are worth further investigation. And his conjecture is that there are actually beings in universe that have got a mastery whether technological or spiritual, it's kind of irrelevant how that works. I believe that since the all is mind, that this is something that can be accessed mentally, in a sense, in a mastery of the waveform duality, the ability to exist as one or the other, uh, or both, and maybe phase out of physicality. It sounds pretty far out and crazy, but when you've experimented and dabbled in hyperspace even a little bit with things like psilocybin or DMT, and you run into beings there that can tell you things, you realize that maybe there are life forms that exist in the wave side. And that's a very private place. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's in the vast re reaches and recesses of your inner world. And <laughs> the other thing that I want to point out before we keep going is uh, that the Large Hadron Collider is said to be starting up again in just a few weeks or months. I don't know. I think they're starting it in March, maybe. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But there's a perfect example of the materialist science trying to crack open this, the spiritual and make it temporal, make it physical, give it a particleization, and look at it from a nuts and bolts perspective. And some people, I mean, I think that there could be just a lot of smoke and mirrors about what's possible with Large Hadron and what they're doing to the realm and whether or not it's putting us into parallel dimensions or whatever. To me, it sounds like a lot of bullshit to give. There's always this classic, um, they're so much more powerful than you could ever imagine, the they. And I don't buy that at all. I think the scare, the reason why that's so popular is an idea and ideas like it, that the elites are all powerful has everything to do with the fact that people are much more afraid of what I think the truth is, which is that actually nobody's in charge. <laughs> yeah. That's the scarier thought for people yeah. that they don't want to accept or entertain my opinion. Nobody's in charge. Um, yeah. I just don't think universe works that way. It's so mm -hmm. it's very silly to think that anybody or body of buddies <laughs> could be in charge of everything. Now, certainly there are they's and there are conspiracies and there are people that work together for nefarious ends and positive ends, no doubt. But in terms of being in charge of it all, even beings beyond the veil of the waveform duality, I think would struggle to be in charge. Uh, there's just too much energy in this place to be containing the charge of all of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and charge is a very interesting concept that has everything to do with public and private on the legal side that, you know, where do you take your charge from? Where, how does charge flow? And it's directed uh, the charges as they, they put it. And maybe we should go ahead and put out the disclaimer of like, we're not giving legal advice in this conversation. If anybody thought they're coming to this talk for legal advice, <laughs> this is a philosophical examination of law because I believe that the, investigation of law is a very spiritual matter whenever you get, go beyond just the mundane aspects of it and look at these dualities as representative of your own inner pillars your own left and right so yeah. let's continue forward um you know since 9 11 none of the narratives really make sense 
Right. That's one of the most important things about 9-11 in terms of a turning point. Uh, so much information has become available since then, and even up to the modern time where we have characters like uh, Robert Malone blowing up a lot of the misinformation and lies about Corona uh, on control platform Joe Rogan. And then there's a big show of him getting kicked off Twitter after that. It seems like we're being spoon fed truth and lies at equal amounts and uh, that we're act it's actually definitely a revelation of the method time period. So mm -hmm. how do we move forward and talk more about these, uh, these two pillars? Uh, you know, what mm -hmm. are some of your thoughts after all of that ramble that I just went on? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, just a few, a few notes I took while you were uh, speaking there was um, you mentioned how, you know, the Bible is a, it is a public notice uh, in, you know, it is a, a vehicle for the, essentially the Vatican at this point to communicate to us the program of the realm. And the word program means written before it, uh, you know, this is how it was written. And so in, uh, even in the etymology pro gram, yes, pro proceed. Yep. Grammar, <laughs> yeah. so pre-writ. Never thought yeah. about that. Yeah. So these are basically, with, they're giving us public notice of how it's going to be. And, uh, and another very important fact is the, the law is based on the Bible. The Bible is the foundation of law. So when, you know, when I refer back to the Bible, I'm not doing so uh, for to push any religion whatsoever, I do so to point out the fundamental paradigm that we are in, and that we've been given notice. And understanding the meaning of that notice is uh, paramount to navigating the realm. And also, I'll point out that I always I twilight uh, translate the word English to angelese. I believe that English is angelese, and uh, that our the language that we've been given uh, is it's it comes from the Bible and it comes from law, and and another thing about the English language, it is unique in that it is duplicitous. It almost all of our words have multiple definitions. And uh, some of those definitions look very similar in a dictionary, but when you bring in a Black's Law dictionary and look at the definitions, those terms of art are captured and they mean something totally different. That's part of what makes Sabak so valuable is showing the duplicitous nature of language and uh, Dylan as well, Sicocio, yes. his Spirit yeah. World series. These are crucial researchers to analyze the way that we've been hoodwinked by speech and by the phonetic Kabbalah yes, and that the priest class, the black robes, whether they're in the legal jurisdiction, the medical jurisdiction, or, you know, the spiritual realm, supposed, supposed spiritual realm, more like gatekeepers and secret holders. <laughs> yeah. uh, they've been for a long time able to signal to each other their intent and communicate quite clearly one to another because they understand this phonetic Kabbalah they have the terms of art properly defined. They aren't using the diction of Aries that we are. Yes. Yes. Uh, so 
Uh, one, one question, I continue your thought, but I want to put this out there as a place for you to head towards, if you don't mind. Yep. Can you get us to a definition or at least a, a working conversation about what you think public and private stand for in law, what the difference in law between public and private really is, why one, you know, may be an advantageous position over the other. Yes. Yeah. I'll, uh, I, I'll bust out the Black's Law for that here. Um, so essentially, uh, and one thing I, I, I'll just put this forward is I do not want a black pill. A lot of what will come forward here will sound like uh, we're in a perilous situation, but black law, black pill can't yeah. really help it. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be, it can be, you know, getting to know these terms and the, how even our language is captured can be very discouraging, but that's what we're here to fight against. We're bringing the light into a very dark situation. So, um, so the public is essentially um, is captured. It is, um, it is regulated. It can be regulated. It, uh, and, you know, that's why Christ was dragged out of the city and put into the public uh, on the side of the road when they crucified him is because that, that regulation, uh, it's like they were staking a claim on the, on the public. And so when you are a part of the public, you are diminished in your, stand, in your stand, standing. And your uh, your power, your sovereignty is gone, and you're just considered one of the un, unclean masses. Uh, now, in the private, it's very interesting. It's very interesting because the private is so loosely defined, and to the point that there you can, uh, through apophatic reasoning you can deduce that the private is anything goes situation. And so if you really want to be an anarchist uh, and live in a place where there are no rulers, then you, it's paramount that you uh, access privacy. And we've been told over and over in so many ways that privacy is dead, privacy is gone, no more privacy. But how does that really work? You know, like where did the privacy go? <laughs> How can that just not exist anymore? <laughs> yes. And I think it's crucial to look at the accepting of gifts and services being the way that we're moved into the public. Maybe we can talk about that too, but I know you're about to bust out the Black's Law. So yes. I just want to put that idea in your head too, because I'm sure you have thoughts on it. Yes. Yep. Uh, so there's a few terms that are really great for, for understanding what you just said. Uh, giving joinder. Uh, when you slide your ID out the window to that police officer, you're giving joinder and they're bridging the gap. Now the charge can be exchanged. A charge can be exchanged because you've given joinder. In um, another term that's really important to know is a darling of equity. And a darling of equity is hard. Equity itself is very hard to define, very hard. But it's, it's also super important that we get a grasp for it. But darling of equity is anything that seduces you out of your private. And even without knowing it, you avail yourself to the public and to the regulation of the public. Uh, generally, that's done by presumption. So they don't even tell you that you're being... Uh, locked into the public or that you've lost any of your standing that you had before. 
And once they and once they know you, then you, they can put presumptions on you. So the key to staying private is to remain unknown. And so if an officer or public servant doesn't have your name on a piece of paper with uh, already in advance, then there's no reason for you to even work with them. And in fact, by working with them, you're doing their job for them. And if you do their job for them, you're basically giving them a bribe. Uh, so those are things you can even say to them. It's like, look, that's your job. And if I did your job for you, then you might think that I'm trying to bribe you or trying to do you a favor. And if I do you a favor, then you could accuse me of uh, trying to manipulate you. So I'm not going to do your job for you because I don't want to manipulate you. You you Uh, Okay. So this feels like a good time. Gabriel and I both watched the new Spider-Man film. Oh, no way yeah. home. And we will yeah. refrain from giving major horrible spoilers in this conversation, <laughs> but there will be a few details from the plot that may seem like very minor details that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, connect to this topic that we're on. I want to, yes. I want to discuss. So this is not a huge spoiler because it's revealed at the end of the previous Spider-Man film that Peter Parker's identity is revealed to the world. This is why I think it's a relevant movie plot to analyze a little bit in this conversation, because it's clearly a film that's about someone who was forcibly put into the public and is trying to find his way back to privacy. Now, it's going over the head of the average moviegoer, right? But there's a scene uh, early on in the film because his friends and family are also exposed by him becoming a public persona as Spider-Man Peter Parker. And this is a very minor plot detail, but if you cannot, if you abhor any or all spoilers, then I'm sorry, then I guess stop watching. (laughs) It's very minor plot detail though. His two friends, there's a, he has a female friend and a male friend. They're interrogated by the police after everyone's picked up in connection to Spider-Man Peter Parker. And the female character is immediately, I will not say a thing without a lawyer. I want a lawyer. Complete zipped lips. The male character is, is is instantly able to be seduced into giving up all his sordid details about his connection to Spider-Man. So I thought that, you know, maybe that would be a good example to get you rolling on yeah. how this idea of public and private also connects to pillars and to yeah. masculinity and femininity and uh, the pillars of Freemasonry and so yes. many other there's there's like. It's hard to go into this subject because, as you say, with binaries, you're either completely right or completely wrong when things are 50-50. But for our current level of understanding, I'd love to get a little bit into the black and and white of this. Yes, yes. That's a great setup. Yep. So, like you said, she was zip-lipped. She remained private. And he spilled the beans uh, so easily. I mean, he gave up more than the cops could have even asked for directly. <laughs> so they, uh, so uh, I do believe that, you know, you can think of the, the public as going out, protruding outward. Uh, even you could think of it as an upward, a pillar pointing upward. And that is because uh, anatomically, the masculine points out. And anatomically, the feminine goes inward is uh yeah we're talking about a pole and a hole pole and a hole basically (laughs) yes ones and zeros um 
and so uh, the, so those represent the two the two pillars in so many ways. Like you could even uh, point at the North Star, and the North Star is uh, visible almost throughout the entire year, um, and that's Polaris. And so the North Star would represent the public from the Northern Hemisphere, from our perspective in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, if that's really what it is. If that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> right, yep. And so um, the Southern Star, a lot of people don't know that there is a Southern Star as well, uh, a counterpart to Polaris, and that is... Um, uh, Sigma Octan. Thank you. Octanus. Yeah. Octanus? Sigma yes. Octanus. We're probably pronouncing the Octanus part wrong. Yes, it's a hard one to say. Sigma Octanus, and that is the southern star, but the southern star... Oh, okay, let's get it right. Sigma Octantis. There's an Oct- extra... Octantis, thank you. Yep. Yeah, there's an extra syllable in, or a consonant in there. Sigma Octantis is the southern version of Polaris. Yes. In that- at least by the, mo- you know, at least by the mainstream... Model. You know, description and model of yeah. course none of us are allowed to go to the S- south pole so-called south pole or the north pole so still interesting that this we're, we're given this layout though in terms of the the consensus reality yes yeah so that southern star is uh for a majority of the year is actually occulted it's it's hidden it's out of view it is goes below the horizon line for a large part of the year. Um, and because of that, it could be considered the private because it's uh, in the underworld, in the underside. And the uh, North Pole, or yeah, the Polaris is the public. So you have, even in the cosmology, you have corresponding uh, public pillar and a private pillar. And so uh, in my video that I did recently, I guess it was a three-part series, um, I correlated the southern tower of the 9-11 ritual, the s- south tower with the private, with Sigma Octantis, and the north tower with Polaris. And so that is that in, in the order that they fell, the south tower fell first. And the North Tower fell last on top of it. And by doing so, symbolically, they took the arrangement of uh, Unum Sanctum and they inverted it and drove it into the earth down below. So I guess uh, I should fill in a blank here. I also believe that Unum Sanctum has uh, uh, everything to do with the Analima. And the fact that the pillar of the Analima, as it rises upward, yep, there we go. As it rises upward, uh, that crossing point, the nexus there in the middle, that is April 15th. That is tax day. That is- or for audio only listeners, yes. just Google search the Analima. Analima. Yes. It is the figure eight, but it's a lopsided figure eight that the sun makes if you were to do time lapse lapse photography and capture its position uh day by day at the same time you would yep. get this figure eight design uh it is a very important occult sim- symbol if you will it yep. gives us the it gives us the uh, limnascate the infinity figure eight loop 
I yep. believe this is the real origin of Hermes being known as Lord Eight or Mercury. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Very important. So the analemma, we're looking at it now and continue. You were saying that it, the crossing point of the analemma where the smaller uh, upper portion crosses to the larger lower portion gives us a tax day, yes. <laughs> April 15th. Yep. And that is T. T is a cross. A and X is a cross. So even the word tax is very much symbolically uh, indicating the crossing point. And so a, a lot of people believe that our taxes are considered a tithing and that, in fact, a larger portion than we're willing to admit or that we're told is going to the Vatican. And so whether you're, yeah, so whether you're Catholic or not, and whether you're putting your money in that basket every Sunday or not, uh, on a grander scale, you uh, a large amount of your energy, your spiritual currency, and for your time on this planet is uh, is going to the Vatican. And I believe it's your that. charge. It's, yes, it's your charge. Yep. And so that is the build up. That crossing over at April 15th is the building up. And the building up, as we've demonstrated, is the North Tower, it's uh, Polaris, it's the public, it's the masculine. And then when it loops around and drops back down again, the point where it crosses over is on Vul uh, Vulcanalia. And Vulcanalia is a nebulous holiday. Some people have it on August 23rd, and some people have it at August 27th. But that's uh, that's for good reason. It's actually a three day holiday, uh, or it was back in the back in uh, Greek the Greek time period. So Vulcanalia is strangely enough, it is when many volcanoes have erupted. Very famous volcanic eruptions have happened on the day of worshiping the volcano, and so we have Pompeii, we have uh, Mount Etna, and we have Krakatoa. All of those volcanoes actually erupted on Vulcanalia, which is uh, really strange. Uh, you know, a lot of people would say it was divine intervention, uh, you know, playing a role. And some people might say that. Think it about this too, Gabriel, like yeah. those crossings. When's Vulcanalia again? August 27th. Okay. So it's not exactly dead on where the yeah. crossing is, but it's near the crossing. Yep. And so both versions, both times that the analemma crosses, you have something related to coins, to money. Yes. You have yes. the, you're paying the Cohen or the king, the Cain, the, the priests, <laughs> and you're also celebrating the blacksmiths or the disciples of Vulcan who mint the coins, who actually create the metal money, at least in the traditional older times. You got it, man. Yes. And so and maybe that's why they were not so well respected in some cultures, as you would imagine that the blacksmith's job was seen as a dirty job yep. as a type of a type of thief, even. Yes, that they're robbing from from Mother Earth. So and I'll even point out Volcano has that cane, the coin, the coin. Yep. And so this is an interesting theory. And I'm uh, you know, I'm not trying to incriminate anybody's religion at all but uh freud put uh he posited 
something very fascinating to me that I get a lot of mileage out of having this thought. Uh, and that is he believed that Yahweh was a volcano. And that when, um, when Moses went up on the mountain and came down with some stones, tablets, that that mountain was in fact a volcano. And uh, Freud even takes it so far as to assert that the, the god of the ancient Hebrews was Vulcan. And that, uh, and that this god Vulcan is the god of the smith, god of the forge. And he has a lot of really good reason to believe that. Like, there's a, another theory. I think it's um, uh, Joseph P. Farrell, I think, maybe. Uh, he says that the mana that fell out of the heavens to, uh, to feed the uh, Israelites when they were in the wilderness, they, some people think that that was monoatomic gold, that mana was monoatomic gold. And that it was uh, uh, falling down because of a maybe a meteor crash or maybe from a volcano that was going off, and that they were actually eating monoatomic gold, which is uh, really profound to me. But there are so many reasons to believe that the Hebrews and the Israelites were worshiping the forge, uh, worshiping the god of the forge, this the the blacksmith. Um, and part of, part of substantiating this a little further is that historically in Europe, the Jews were burdened, whether they wanted to or not, they were expected to be the bankers, um, and sometimes even against their will. And the reason that they were expected to do this is because religiously they are absolved from usury. I mean, famously, they were the, you know, bookkeepers of the Templars. Yes. The Templars were more of a warrior caste. They did right. not manage the, this is, Tessarion always says that the Templars in connection with the Jews, they were tassel to purse, as he puts it, mm. and that they inherited a lot of the structure and wealth of the bureaucracy that the Templars created after they were excommunicated and, you know, put underground, taken wow. away of their public standing was destroyed. Excellent. Excellent. So this is where we should we should make this distinction uh, that the bank is the bench. And when the judge is sitting on the bench, he is sitting on the bank. And that that's is, the actual meaning of the word bench. It means bank in yes, law. Yes. And so this is why I find translations of Hebrew words to be so volu uh, valuable in understanding law on a deeper level. And I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just pointing at the, his uh, the history that indicates that the more we understand, you know, Old Testament law, uh, we can see how it adopts and adapts with New Testament changes. And then we can understand how the banking system works even better we can even understand our language better because, you know, uh, even the words that we're given, you know, they come from the very much from law, from biblical events and from uh, banking. You know, for example, sin, the word sin, uh, many people have many definitions. This is not by any means the only one. But my favorite definition of sin is an acronym 
It's standing in negative. And to stand in the negative is to be in debt. And if you're in debt, then you are not calling the shots. Uh, then you owe, then you can be dragged into the public and taken advantage of. Um, so that's essentially kind of summarizing the two pillars, the North and the South, uh, how it relates to the Analima and uh, how that relates to Unum Sanctum. And so if the Lemniscato or the figure eight in the heavens was, is expressed with the masculine in the background, in the feminine, in the foreground, which is true because in the, uh, in the spring, Think of it as the upward and the downward pointing triangles, yes. the chalice and the blade, which one is overlapped Perfect. on top of the other? Perfect. Yes. Yes. And so in the summer, it's strange to me because uh, summertime is actually when we're further away from the sun. And in the winter, Oddly according enough, to that funny ball theory. <laughs> according to the ball theory, in the winter is when we're closer to the sun. And so if you look at the, uh, the Analima, you will see that there is some, it is appropriate that the, the feminine, the descending S-curve, is more proximal to the planet Earth uh, in that in the winter, the sun is allegedly closer to us. So all of this consistency is, uh, helped me develop a better understanding for the public and the private, what it means spiritually, cosmically, and legally. Another thing about sin that I find interesting is as a prefix, it also could represent the synthetic, which is the public, the artificial realm versus the real. Nice. Right? Because yes. in nature, like you take on a persona, you, you interface with the law or with the legal system, with the corporation, yes. the municipal corporations masquerading as government. You interface with them through your legal name. Your yes. Christian name is your first name. And then your surname is what's required for them to be able to actually ID you, tag them and bag them, that type of thing. Yeah, man. Although you technically are not actually named Gabriel by nature, you could say that that name is your God-given name because it doesn't distinguish you from nature in quite the same way as a full first, first middle, last name would. Yes. And so... The Christian name is then your private name. And even though you may be called Chance or Gabriel, you know, maybe Chance is more of an exceptionally rare name, but still it doesn't ID you from other people that might use that to be called by their friends and family. Yes. And in nature, a, a deer is not named Jeff. It's not even called a deer. <laughs> it just is what it is. It's self-existing yeah. and non not named. It, it's private. Nature is the real, it is the private, it is the unnamed, it is not artificial. So to even take on sin, sin being debt, actually, my personal favorite definition of sin being debt, but yeah. also to take on sin as an S-Y-N, synthetic artificial life, synthetic yeah. uh, artificial realities, to do that, you have to take on a full artificial name. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's like a big correlation between the public and the private with the real and the fake uh, name yes. as well. Yeah. I like, I like to think that uh, next time I get the chance, <laughs> uh, if a, a public servant is trying to inquire after my identity, 
my answer is going to be, my name is private. My name is private. Oh, uh, I've also heard people say, my private name is Gabriel, like you're in the military. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I've even heard people say the my irony name- that they call you a private Yeah, in the military. It's like mockery of the highest caliber. Yes. Once yes. you've signed over and you're owned by them on paper even more deeply. Right. Yeah. Um, I've even heard people say that, you know, uh, that their response is, uh, my name is for my friends. My, my name is for my friends. Are you my friend? Are we friends? Do I know you? Do I know where you live? Are you going to tell me your address? Because you expect me to tell me you my address. So, you know, you can basically use your name as a negotiation tool to just sit there and haggle over who's going to give who more information. Because whoever gives out the most information presumes the liability of the situation. So by putting out your info so willy-nilly and freely, while the officer barely tells you shit about themselves, uh, all of the liability is falling on you. So one of the things, you know, you always want to get an officer, I always want to get an officer's uh, name and badge number, but I even take it further, I would get their in, uh, their indemnity insurance number. That will like, ring their bell if you ask yeah, for that, because yeah. they have to provide it. Yes, And when you start dropping enough jargon on them, they start to think twice, three, four times before they, you know, continue their probing. Uh, So it's always good to have a few just uh, kind of means to delay the procedure as much as possible. I saw a fellow one time, uh, the officer was asking him his name and he started spelling his name as last letter L. First letter G, third letter B, sixth letter R. And he spelled his name, but he spelled it out of order. <laughs> and and it, took, it took like 10 minutes to, for him to spell his full name. It was hilarious. That would be as hard for me to do as it would be for them to comprehend. <laughs> yes, yes. It was brilliant. So uh, one thing you always want to do is like you, you need to be um, – agreeable, uh, but it doesn't mean that you just, uh, you don't want to create controversy. So you uh, generally you do what's called a a conditional acceptance. So it's like, I will give you my name if you can accept it in the format that I'm going to give it to you. And then you just get really difficult from there. So you're just basically dragging your feet every step of the way possible. Um, But I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant idea. Yeah, there's a, Okay, so I won't rush us over to the Rockfin side, but I got to give people the warning and disclaimer that pretty soon we're going to go over to the private side of this conversation, (laughs) the members only in our private members association that is Rockfin. Yeah. People who are subscribed on Patreon will be able to catch the replay uploaded there as well, of course, but uh, we'll drop the link in the show notes soon. The stream is going on simultaneous on Rockfin. We got to do it this way so that there's some reciprocity in our our game plan. And I'd love to see a lot of you switch over. It looks like some of you already have. There's quite a few watching on the Rockfin currently. But before we move over there, it's tough for me to decide which topic I want to maybe close out with because there's a lot, but <laughs> there's a lot. I've got notes for all of it, but yeah. I want to ask you. Now, I know this isn't legal advice, but do you think, because this is a big part of the 
what they call patriot mythology when it comes to the law and legal system. Do you think that there's any need to correct our standing as private instead of public in some sort of documented sense? Mm -hmm. uh, is this something you've investigated or pursued or a, a red herring of sorts? What do you think? I th yeah, I think that there are many forms of defense that are required to make yourself unfuckwithable, as they say. And one of the, uh, the measures that you may want to take uh, will, would include uh, uh, filing paperwork with the county clerk in advance. And, uh, but the, the key is to not fall back on that. That is like a last line of defense. And you want about 50 to 60 lines of defense uh, to fall back on before you get to that, to that uh, level of, uh, of much needed uh, documentation. And so, you know, the first thing you want to do is just make conversation with, uh, with the public servant just as absolutely difficult and agonizing for them as possible uh, while not being an asshole, while being perfectly cordial and agreeable uh, and not generating any more controversy than may or may not already be in place. But yes, I do believe that filing uh, something in advance before you get in trouble uh, is crucial because uh, first in first in line wins the case essentially. And if you've made these uh, declarations uh, well before somebody had to go and check if they're true or not, uh, it will serve you quite well. So I do believe that uh, it, you're not really applying for you're you are, and you're you are asserting. You know, think of it as asserting your truth uh, so that when it gets put to the question, uh, when you go on the chopping block, you have something already on file to defend your status. And so, yeah, I think that uh, a declaration of status filed with the county clerk is probably a good idea. Uh, I have a declaration of status. I have not filed mine because I don't live in my old county anymore. I recently moved. Uh, and, you know, it would probably even be good to, you know, talk to your if you're going to do the driving around with your own license kind of thing. If you're going to do that, uh, at least talk to the sheriff in your area that you plan to be driving in, you know, get to know them so that when shit hits the fan, they already talk to you about this. And you've already right. It's good to have a human to human relationship instead of like this whole I'm just a number in the system and I'm the yeah. squeaky or I'm the what do you call it? The, you know, the blade of grass that's too tall, getting it, chopped down. What have yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. So one thing uh, I, I'll just put this forward that in FDR's Proclamation 2039 and 2040, he declared that all civilians are enemies of the state and we are considered belligerent. And the technical term for belligerent, the definition of belligerent is, it goes back to, uh, it's a war term. It's a, a term for the battlefield. And a belligerent uh, opponent is a group of soldiers who were not ready. They're being attacked. They're being raided unexpectedly. And they're not in formation. They don't have their shit ready to go. And they're just running all over the place trying to 
get a battle plan scrounged together at the last minute. So belligerent actually means you're on the defensive and you weren't ready for this. And if you haven't filed your paperwork in advance, if you're not organized, and there's that organ, which is a collection of tissues with a common purpose. If you're not organized, if you don't have your tissues with a common purpose already on file, already established to hold, to root your truth in the system somehow, then you will be considered belligerent. And so having your paperwork ready to go and anticipating all these moves in advance uh, is part of not being belligerent and having your shit together. And it, uh, once you do that, it gives you a, a sense of confidence that will shine through in your demeanor. And they will see that you are unfuckwithable. In every step of the way, you have a plan to fall back on. And just setting all that up means that you would be able to describe what you've done. You would understand your status. I mean, understand, that's a tricky word, but you know what I mean? You would have, you wouldn't just be an armchair law researcher. (laughs) You would have some real knowledge at that point to back up what it is that you're trying to do. And, you know, it also is like, what's the advantage of living in one world instead of the other? Or is it possible to live in both worlds? Should we seek to live in both worlds or is the entire system on the public side at this point spiritually and morally bankrupt, you know, because when you look at it, when you look at it in a good evil duality, because these pillars have got every type of duality you can imagine painted onto them. uh, It's tricky because then all of a sudden you're saying that like one of the genders is then the evil one and one's the good one. And so maybe we can't put these hard and fast designations on public and private either. Maybe it's more complicated than that. But at the very least, we have to know that when we're playing in the artificial realm, we have left the nature or God jurisdiction in a sense. We are now playing Monopoly. We've we're, There are rules that we've agreed to, even though those rules and those statutes and codes are far beyond what we could actually ever internally be cognizant of at any given moment. <laughs> Same for the, but the same is true for the masters of that game. They also don't even know all their own rules. So this is part of why I think nobody's in charge because there are people that go into the courtrooms with their shit together, organized and not belligerent and kick ass. And they come out the other side completely whole and uh, with remedy, but they have to know who they are. They have to know what they're doing. They've probably investigated many avenues that were dead ends to get to where they got to a successful remedy. Mm-hmm. I think though, it's possibly a lot simpler than it's made out to be. I believe the waters are muddied greatly. Part of this to go back to the un- opening of the floodgates of information and the, you know, the destruction of those two pillars on nine 11 being a collapse of oaths of secrecy. This is something I want to talk about more because at the point where all information has now come to light, the things are no longer clear at all because there's so much of an information overload. The revelation of the method is weaponized. It's weaponized truth. It's like, yes. which truth do we follow? Which thing is actually going to be successful for giving us remedy? So there's a couple of things that I find interesting. We'll talk about more on the uh, the second hour. Like, maybe state versus federal citizenship as part of this public and private dichotomy, Mm -hmm. because I think that that the uh, onset of 
the country, at least by the mythology that we've been given around the United States of America, there was a more amicable system to freedom. And that came through a guaranteed state's rights, as opposed to what we now all are operating under, which is federal citizenship, a totally different beast and a color of law rather than something actually rooted in natural law or biblical law. If you want to look at it that way, which it definitely is like everything is foundationally resting on the Bible as the book of law for the nation. And just that fact alone is lost on 99% of the herd. Yes. Yes. It's definitely uh, the kind of thing you have to be proactive uh, for. And, you know, once you get your ducks in a row, uh, you know, a lot of the black pill aspect of this knowledge just uh, falls by the wayside, you know, and gives you a good reason to just shine your truth. Uh, another point, you know, you're talking about the so much truth being weaponized. Uh, I think of the picture of John, the of, of Aquarius. He's got that jug and he's spilling it down onto uh, onto the ground, essentially. Um, and I think of that as, you know, the truth of our times. We are being, uh, there's a deluge of, of things to know. And it is, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot to take on. Uh, but we are, we're in the, we're in a new age and the truth is overwhelming. It's overwhelming, but it's there to have, and it's there for us to master. And you don't got to pay some school to, uh, to access it anymore. You know, right there is a huge paradigm shift that we can be uh, self-educated, self-empowered. All right, guys, we're going to head over to Rockfin exclusively now. We gave you a couple extra minutes because <laughs> I know <laughs> that I know that me and Gabe will have no trouble like doing more than two hours. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it feels like there's a lot here. It's been fun, though. It's been fun. Wow, guys, kicking off the uh, 2022 with very fascinating conversation I've been wanting to have with you for a while. I mean. I want to talk to you about everything. Technically, I have to make sure I don't over lean on you as a resource. <laughs> You're just so well researched and well spoken about it. And I appreciate your friendship, man. It's really cool that we get to do this together. And I look forward to seeing everyone on the other side. I'm going to play. Well, I'm going to play us out with a song by my real life friend who goes by the Wisdom Traders. Wisdom Traders is his uh, SoundCloud name. I'll link that in the comments as well. It's already in the show description. And you'll be able to see a nice little countdown of about two and a half minutes when this music starts. And that's your cue as to where we're at before we start on the rock fan exclusive second hour. So uh, be sure and hop over there. If you're interested, it's worth the subscription. You get all the amazing content creators, exclusive content on Rockfin just for the one price of admission or for $5 instead of 10, you can do my Patreon and check out this replay once I get it posted up there later. So watch the comments when we're transitioning for links to Gabriel, to Wisdom Traders, and to Rockfin. And thanks so much for being here, man. Anything you want to say to the freebies before we bounce? Uh, not much. You know, uh, come check me out over at Slick Dissident on YouTube. And, uh, you know, we we weave with those weaving spiders every Saturday. That's our other jam session. So, oh, thank you for remembering to mention the spiders. They're our boys and gals. We have a lot of fun. Weaving spiders, yeah. welcome. You can catch Gabe there week to week and yeah. me usually. Yeah. Much love, everybody.